Yeah, even when Mother Nature cooperates, we create our own problems. When you have five boats on the water doing circles, what happens, right? So, and it's and it's not like I mean we could, but we I mean we could do a do a pass of skiing and then stop and let the water calm and then do another pass. But with this, with show skiing, when you compete, you have sixty minutes to put on thirteen acts. So you got to keep things. Moving, 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 moving. You just don't have the time and the luxury to, okay, let's let the water calm down before we send the next act and, you know, to keep doing that. If you kept doing that, your show would be three hours long. and welcome back or welcome to the Waterski Podcast. This is Matteo Luzzeri, your host, and the goal of this podcast is to promote water skiing, uh, a great sport with a lot of disciplines, including slalom, tricks, jump, overall, as far as tournament water skiing goes. But this week we'll explore another discipline, so, a discipline that I wasn't particularly versed in, although I'd seen it and, and heard it and had known a couple of people here in Europe that were involved with it, which is show skiing. Before we get to it, I just want to uh, express all my uh, closeness to the people and skiers that I know in Ukraine. I know that times must be unimaginably tough. Um, I have promoted through some social media uh, reach how people can donate how can people can help um, financially? Um, in regards to that, any donation that I should receive about uh, uh, any donation that I should receive for the Waterski Podcast, any advertisement advertisement money that might come this month, um, please know that that will all be directed to Danilo Filichenko, who's uh, most of you know a great. Ukrainian water skier who has been uh, working nonstop to do what he can to help um, the people around him and the city of Dnipro where he lives and currently is. Um, so just know that any money you might send my way to support this podcast will go straight to uh, him. You will also find a few links um, in the show notes where should you decide to do it, you can contribute um, financially to help out the people of Ukraine. Now, back to this episode. Um, it was a fun one. I, I had a chance to interview Matt and Adam, who are the hosts of The Ski Show. Ski Show is a podcast that started a couple of years ago solely about show skiing. And uh, after I heard a couple of their interviews with their guests... Um, and the energy that they have, I, I said, okay, this is, it's time for me to contact them and ask them as many questions as I can come up with um, about show skiing. And I hope you'll hear all these questions came from a place of curiosity, of wanting to know more about show skiing. And I can tell you for a fact that I learned a lot about a side of water skiing that I wasn't particularly familiar with. Uh, 
as far as details go. And uh, I hope you'll you'll learn as much as I did, and I hope you'll have as much fun as I had uh, chatting it up with them and learning about this sport. So without any further ado, enjoy, and uh, we'll catch you next week. Well, Matt and Adam, thank you so much for uh, deciding to join me here for the Waterski Podcast. Pleasure to have you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, this is great. This is great. Thank you. Of course. Um, now, I must say I found out about your uh, show uh, through work that I was doing uh, on, on my podcast. And uh, at first I thought it was a snow ski show before I listened to anything just because it didn't have the word water. Uh-huh. So I got intrigued and, uh, and obviously I, I realized it's a full-on show skiing podcast. So the first question I always ask my guests, uh, and I guess we can start with you, Matt, um, is always how they got into water skiing. So I'm always curious to hear that. Yeah, you know, uh, we we live in Madison, Wisconsin area, uh, so, southern Wisconsin, and our family had a, a lake home north of where we live, a couple hours north. And I learned to ski up there. We had a we had a cottage and a boat, and I learned when I was I don't know four or five years old. Started skiing. Uh, my siblings and family all skied, and I learned there, and I, I learned the basics and and uh, continued to learn. And uh, incidentally, it was also there that I got involved in or got interested in show skiing because there was a water ski show uh, up in the same town that we had our, our lake home, our cabin, and I got really interested. I, I watched the show and thought it was super cool. And when I was a kid, I wanted to to be on the team, and finally ended up joining a show ski team when I was about thirteen years old. But started skiing with family uh, in uh, Central Wisconsin yeah, when I was about four or five years old. Yeah, Adam, what about yeah, you? Yeah, I, I would I would say my story is probably not too dissimilar. I would say for most skiers in Wisconsin, it's probably the same. Um, my we have family friends that had a place on Lake Wisconsin, um, and they had an old ski supreme inboard boat, and they skied and barefooted, and they did it all. They taught me how to ski, taught me how to kneeboard, and then from there, my family would take uh, vacations up north every summer. And my dad had a twenty-five horsepower Johnson with a tiller. Okay, <laughs> we would load that up in our pop-up camper. We didn't have a boat; we just had a motor. Oh, okay. Load it up in our pop-up camper. We would rent an aluminum fishing boat when we got up there, and we'd put the motor on. We would tie the rope to one side of the boat, the back, one of the eyelets on the back, and yeah. my dad would just pull me around the lake for hours on end, hours <laughs> on end. Tiny little cut and jump skis and uh, an inflatable kneeboard. That's how I wow. got started. So both of you guys are from Wisconsin, from what I gather, and my understanding, and again. Uh, just to give a, a preamble, the goal of this podcast, this episode, is for you guys to educate me and my audience about show skiing. Um, but from the little that I know, the the culture of show skiing in Wisconsin is huge. Uh, so if you could give me a sense of like why that is, how that came about, uh, what are the numbers? Yeah, I mean it's it's massive. It's it's huge. There's you know almost thirty show ski teams just in the state of Wisconsin. If you can picture that, uh, wow. you know, 30 different teams in one state. And it really started, you know, back in the fifties and sixties, uh, Tommy Bartlett, 
show was a professional show right in the middle of the state. And that was a big draw and an interest for people. And water ski shows uh, happened all over, you know, the state of Wisconsin and different tourist towns, different lakes that there are lakes everywhere in Wisconsin. And water ski shows started popping up in the 50s and in the 60s. And it became really popular. And now today, many of the clubs competing have uh, you know, are celebrated their 50th anniversary in show skiing or 60th anniversary. And, and teams have been going for that long, steadily doing shows all summer long. And, and it's seasonal here. So we go mostly from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Uh, and, and shows go in, in between there. But uh, for the most part, Wisconsin has just grown in, you know, in the number of teams. And it started with uh, a few teams and it grew pretty quickly. And, and having the Tommy Bartlett show uh, in the center of the state also helped really grow the popularity of show skiing. Right. Yeah. And right. I think, I mean, ultimately, I think it comes down to, is, is like Matt said, we have so many lakes in Wisconsin. I mean, Minnesota, which is right next door, uh, you know, their license plate advertises the land of 10,000 lakes. Right. And, you know, in Wisconsin, we always kind of laugh because we've got way more than that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And see, that's cool for me to hear because um, I was in the U.S. for 13 years doing both university and and water skiing. And I just recently moved back to Italy. But in the world of tournament skiing, we always think of Florida as as the sort of like home place, you know, where where pro skiers live, where you can go and get coaching, where you can, you know, find a place to ski. Uh, but I found it interesting that my understanding is that your area, on the other hand, is really where it's at when it comes to, to show skiing. Um, now, there is a lot of lakes uh, that, that much I know about uh, Wisconsin and Minnesota, but I also know there are big, there are big lakes, wind conditions, other uh, navigation on this lake. So the first question I have is how... How important are the conditions of the body of water when you guys perform the shows? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'll answer. I can, I'll start, Matt, on that one. Uh, you know, I think we re- relate it back to like three event, right? You got three eventers generally have, you know, those private lakes that are long, they're narrow, they've got dumbbell islands on the end to kind of wash out the, wash out the wakes. Uh, we require a bigger body of water for what we do. Cause when we, we, with the big pyramids, you just, you know, you have a, you have a, you can't turn as tight. And so you just require bigger lakes. And with bigger lakes generally comes you conditions, right? Windy. Right. Um, and we're, when you do shows, I would say most of the shows, most of the teams in Wisconsin are on public lakes. And so okay. that's just bigger bodies of water. So yes, would we absolutely love the conditions that three eventers get on the small kind of tournament lakes where the water's always calm? That would be ideal. That would be fantastic. But we just, we don't have that. And, and so that's, that's kind of part of the challenge with show skiing is you just day to day, show to show, you don't know what the conditions are going to be. So when we do, when we do shows in Madison every Sunday night, it's, I wish we could do the same show every Sunday night. It would be, it would be fantastic, but conditions always dictate that. Uh, how busy is the lake? You know, there are a lot of boats out there running around creating waves. How windy is it? Where's the wind coming from? How cold is it? And, and so it's every Sunday is just, it's different, right? If it's super rough, we got to scale back. We can't do big pyramids or we have to take out the barefooting, things like that. Um, but 
when it comes tournament time, generally speaking, the conditions that we have at tournaments for the Wisconsin State Tournament, for the National Tournament, uh, these are sites that meet specific specifications, right? So water's generally a lot better in tournaments than what we see when we do our our shows in Madison for, for the home crowds. And the difference with show skiing, too, is the number of – the reason we need a bigger body of water is the number of people we put on the water. We'll have – at any one time, we'll have 10, 20, 30, 50, 60 skiers on the water at one time with three, four, five, six boats at one time. And it all works together. So you've got to have a big body of water for all of that action to be happening at once. You know, if it was, if, if we could do what we do on a smaller, narrow lake protected by trees, we'd have calm conditions all the time. But our sport, lends itself to uh, bigger, more, more numbers on the water at any one time. And so then, like Adam said, you got to have a bigger body of water. And then, you know, we find ourselves in Madison on the wrong end of a big public lake. You know, we're on the north side and the prevailing winds are usually south, southwest in the summer. And Ouch. we have uh, rough conditions and other boats to contend with and swimmers on our lake and kayaks and and we got to navigate all that to put on a water ski show, and we we do the best we can. Yeah, even when Mother Nature cooperates, we create our own problems. <laughs> when you have five boats on the water doing circles, what happens, right? So, and yeah, it's exactly. and it's not like I mean we could, but we I mean we could do a do a pass of skiing and then stop and let the water calm and then do another pass. But with this, with show skiing. When you compete, you have 60 minutes to put on 13 acts. So you got to keep things moving, 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 moving. You just don't have the time and the luxury to, okay, let's let the water calm down before we send the next act and, you know, to keep doing that. If you kept doing that, your show would be three hours long. Right. Which is probably, you know, uh, not super entertaining for the crowd. You know, I'm guessing it's 60 minutes is what it's at, even on a regular show where, uh, I guess there's no competition, which is really one of the things that interests me about show skiing. Because on one side you have the act, the performance, the the in the artistic sense, in the entertainment. But then there's also a competitive side. Uh, so I guess the first question. Let, let's start with the second one. Uh, Adam, you've already started saying a few of the rules. Uh, could you explain how show ski tournaments work? Right. So who wins? What are the rules? How is performance judged? Sure. I'll let Matt take that one. He's a he's a judge. <laughs> uh, OK, perfect. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, so when we get into competition, uh, there's uh, two primary ways shows get scored. One is uh, based on your skiing acts themselves and, and each act gets scored on four criteria. The flow of the act, how, how it flows, the execution of the act, the difficulty of the act, they all have certain levels of difficulty, and a thing that's called spectator appeal, how entertaining and interesting was that act. And then, so every act then is scored on those criteria, 0 to 25, so 100 uh, points per judge for that act. And then you have 13 acts in your show. And, and your show can have any 13 acts that you, you choose. Your team might have different acts than my team. There's a lot of staples that are the same from show to show, but you can score any 13 acts. 
And then there's opponent, a component called the box scores, and that is all the other things that go into a water ski show. So the announcing gets scored. The uh, tow boat driving gets a score. The safety boat driving gets a score. Your uh, production and theme and entertainment value gets a score. Your showmanship. So everybody plays up to the crowd and your costuming and your choreography and all of those things play in. And those are all part of what's called the box scores. So you have your box scores are the really the show aspect, the, the driving, the announcing, and the show side of things. And then the skiing acts all get scored themselves. And then there's a big math formula. They get added together and a score, uh, you get spit out a score. There's judges. Uh, there's anywhere from three to seven judges. Uh, if there's five or set, most judges have either five or seven judges in a tournament, and then they throw out the high and low score of each act and, and to, to find the right uh, score. And, and then every show gets scored, and you got 60 minutes to perform it. And uh, then they re- reveal the results at the end of the weekend uh, and uh, find out who the winner is. And it's it's fun, and we prepare for it. Most of the teams around here in Wisconsin are competitive. We do our, our shows at home weekly for our audience, and we go compete. And so we're, we're working to compete. The Wisconsin Water Ski Show Tournament is the largest water ski tournament in the world. There are 25 teams that compete somewhere around... Uh, I don't know, 3,000 people uh, compete in a variety of capacities on those teams. So like our team has, you know, uh, 110 to 120 people on the team, about 65 of them are skiers. The rest of them are behind the scenes, announcers, drivers, uh, riders in boats, all the behind the scenes help. And so the Wisconsin State Water Ski Tournament is a four-day massive huge tournament and it's a blast it's actually one of the highlights of our summer well it's you are opening a world to me i, I mean 2500 3000 competitors in a weekend i mean yeah. four days tournament i mean that's yeah it's insane um it's so okay let me see if i if i remember it's 13 acts yep. per team you have 60 60 minutes to do them correct uh odd number of judges roughly mm-hmm. 5 to 7 yeah and then the top and bottom act are are discarded. So you're really being rated on eleven. No. So in uh, each ju- in within each act. So if there's seven judges and they score uh, your act from zero to a hundred, the if somebody scored at ninety eight and somebody scored at sixty five and that was the highest and lowest, they'd throw that out and keep the other five for that act. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Got it. Yeah, you know, uh, I really, I think for for the audience that's not familiar with show skiing, which I imagine is probably most of the audience here is, you know, since we're just coming off of the Winter Olympics, I'm sure you know, many people tuned into that. Figure skating, kind of on the same level, where you've got your technical difficulty, but it's not just the skating, right? It's the artistic impression. You've got judges and costuming, and the music all comes into play. I mean, it, it's kind of like that on a very basic level, just on a bigger scale yeah like with hundreds of people involved right per yes, team right um yes. and so let me uh, going to a comparison let's say with more of the performing side um would you guys say that like that 
what was it called? The back score? The, the, they're called the box scores. It's just the yeah. more of your production side of things. So would that be more what the focus is on when you go and, and perform in front of a crowd as opposed to compete? Yeah, I mean, we like to we like to do both. So we're always working on the skiing act and having it be, we want to maximize our difficulty and our execution. So if we can make it more difficult and still stand it up without falling, that's the goal. So like we do big human pyramids. And if we can do a, a human pyramid with 24 people and all make it, great. If we can do a human pyramid with 40 people in it and everybody makes it, that adds up the difficulty and and increases our score, but we want to execute. So we're working on that side and we're working simultaneously on the other things, the boat driving, the timing of the show, the actors on stage, the showmanship uh, and uh, the show side of things that goes along with the skiing acts. It all works in concert together. It's like a theater production. It's like a Broadway show on water and we try to bring it to life and still ski our acts at the best ability we can and put on a really good entertaining show. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. So even when you're, you know, putting together an entertaining show, there's still an execution aspect, Mm -hmm. which obviously should you be in a competition that would also be very important, but it's also important just for the artistic uh, and entertaining value of the show. Um, So the, can you give us a sense? You said that there are some staple acts and then there's some others that, you know, each team might be tweaking. Um, we talked about pyramids. Uh, we mentioned briefly about barefooting. What are some of the other uh, staple acts? Oh, we you freestyle jumping. Uh, you know, you guys are used to long distance jumping. Freestyle jumping is where you're adding flips and twists and spins uh, with multiple people on the ramp at one time. Uh, you're going to see freestyle jumping in just about every show. That's a staple. Um, let's see what else you're going to see. Doubles. Do- uh, Matt, what's the official? Adagio doubles. Adagio strap doubles. doubles. Yeah. Uh, it's where the guy has on a pair of skis. He wears a harness around his waist. Okay. And, like a weightlifting belt. And then the rope, the tow rope attaches to that harness. So he's actually being pulled by the harness and that frees up his hands where he'll lift a girl above his head. So it's kind of, I'm going to go back to figure skating again. I guess, you know, I watch a lot of winter Olympics, you know, where they're lifting the girl above their head with different types of maneuvers. Um, and they do that on the water. You're going to see that in a lot of shows. Um, swivel skiing, swivel skiing. There you go. You're going to see swivel skiing. Are you familiar with swivel skiing? Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm sorry for, for your audience, but the way I know swivel skiing is a long one ski with a rotating binding on it. And there are rotations. Uh, I've seen also uh, toe skiing, swivel skiing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm slightly familiar with that one, yeah. Yeah, you're going to see swivel skiing in every show. Uh, ballet skiing. So this is, uh, again, your wide, long ski. Uh, the binding doesn't swivel, though. Uh, the girls, what they do is they create a ballet line, um, and they'll do some type of dance on the dock just to music, and then they'll each put on a ski, and you can have upwards of 25, 30 girls in a line. So you'll have 25 girls lined up on the dock, each with a ski, and then they take all 25 ropes and they hook them up to a towboat, 
and then he'll idle out the lines, and when the lines come tight, he'll kind of throttle down a little bit, and they'll all do a, I don't know what you call it, a hop dock, where they step off yep. the dock, and they'll ski away all in, you know, 25 all in one line, and they'll they'll do two two to three circles kind of around the, the show course for the audience doing, you know, different uh, leg kicks and, and synchronized arm movements to music. And then the goal is to land them all at once. So they all remain in a line at once and they all run up on the, onto the beach. And then they'll usually do another dance. You'll see ballet in every single show. So I think, I think we kind of touched on kind of the, the staples were the pyramids, the doubles, the ballet, the swivel, and the jumping, and then you're going to see throughout other shows, depending on personnel, you're going to see uh, maybe some specialty barefooting. You'll see some trick skiing, uh, wakeboarding, uh, sky ski. Yep. Sky yep. skis in a lot of shows. Uh, so just about every discipline that's being towed behind a boat will make its way into a show, um, again, depending on personnel and depending on the team. But then there's also uh, that obviously – how can I say, uh, like a whole show aspect. So I'm assuming that if they decide to put uh, freestyle barefooting instead of trick skiing is because it fits into some type of narrative that the show wants to deliver. Am I correct in saying this? Or is it just mere execution? So generally the skiing isn't necessarily about what the narrative of the show is. It's about the talent and personnel you have on your team. So if you have skiers who are really talented barefooters, you're going to do a little bit more barefooting and you're not going to do wakeboarding. Uh, If you have uh, two or three really talented wakeboarders, you're going to feature that in your show. It's less about the storyline or the narrative the story wants to tell. Uh, That's generally um, the, the show isn't necessarily about the skiing. The show is like we we've done shows uh, that have been uh, based off of Disney movies. Like we did the Wizard of Oz and we did Aladdin. So this last year our show was Aladdin, and we had characters on stage and the announcer telling the storyline while the skiing is happening. Mm-hmm. And so the skiing for from team to team that changes really changes based on their talent and ability because a team wants to maximize their execution and their difficulty that they have within their skiers. Cause every team has different uh, quality of skiers. Yeah. I understand. Um, now uh, how, so I, I know obviously in the United States uh, show skiing is huge. Um, what is your understanding of the, the, I guess uh, the spread of the sport around the world. Do you know if there are any other hotspots around the world that do, they have a lot of show ski teams that do a lot of show skiing? It's growing. Uh, there's a, a world water ski show tournament started in 2012 and that was the first world show tournament and teams uh, in that tournament competed uh, were from the United States, Canada, China, Australia, Belgium. And uh, those are teams that all competed uh, in the world tournament. That world tournament still exists today. The next one is in Florida in uh, October is the next world tournament. And we're really looking forward to that. And the sport does continue to grow. So uh, the United States and, and I would say United States, you know, is has been the primary leader in show skiing worldwide, but it's really catching on uh, with a lot of uh, talent and skill 
in Australia uh, that is booming there. They've had professional shows at uh, SeaWorld, and they still do at, at SeaWorld in the Gold Coast in Australia. They've got uh, show teams around there. Australia show skiing is strong. Uh, Belgium uh, show skiing is uh, is strong. Uh, Canada continues to grow uh, really since the advent of the world tournament. Uh, and then there's other countries that have it like Mexico, France, Germany. Uh, a, a lot of these countries have uh, some show skiing and they've got some shows and some teams. And some of them are looking at competing uh, in the world tournament coming up. Germany actually did compete uh, in the uh, 2018 world tournament. Uh, and then they took uh, the next time they didn't they didn't compete. It, it takes a lot to get a whole team uh, across the world to compete in a tournament, you know, um, and uh, the the amount of money it takes, and uh, it's a challenge. But uh, yeah, it's growing. It's growing around the world, and the the World Showski Tournament is alive and well. And uh, we hope to see it continue to grow. Yeah. Have Have you guys ever performed uh, outside of the United States or or watched some shows outside of the United States? Like, have you noticed any differences between what you see in Wisconsin and around the United States and elsewhere when it comes to show skiing? Yeah, we've had. You know, we're, we're fortunate to have the opportunity to. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good skiers in the United States have had the opportunity to travel abroad uh, to. to participate in pro shows for a season or even you know if you go somewhere for two weeks to you know say a, a country invites you to put on uh, ski shows for a festival that they're having that seems to be pretty common so show skiers from the around the united states have had the opportunity to travel worldwide to put on to put on ski shows and uh you know because it's so prevalent in the united states um and it started in the united states when it comes to show format when it comes to competition i mean that's where the, the rules you know, essentially we have written the rules over time in regards to you know the ski tournaments so we kind of set the bar for that but ski showing excuse me show skiing at a very <laughs> basic level around the world is the same right you're just going out on the water you're having fun you're showing off uh you're you're playing some good tunes and you're just entertaining the crowd i mean that's that's the same regardless if you're in the U.S. or if you're in Australia or if you're in China. Yeah, there's been professional shows all over the world. Uh, Germany, Australia um, have had ongoing uh, professional water ski shows. Uh, Japan um, have had different sort of water ski stunt shows. China has had shows. People have, uh, like to Adam's point, have gone and performed at different festivals in uh, Dubai and Turkey and Lebanon and China and Adam and I have had a chance to go to China and uh, ski in a show there. So the Chinese Water Ski Association uh, for a long time, it, it has since ended with COVID, but for many years invited teams from the United States to come over and compete against the Chinese team, uh, mostly in an effort to to learn show skiing and to grow. So they wanted to invite teams over to the, uh, from the U S to, uh, compete and, and, uh, yeah, we do see differences. So, you know, back to your original question, what differences do we see in the United States and in, uh, in other countries in show skiing? Well, like in China, for instance, they do some really unique things, especially when it comes to doubles, as Adam was mentioning the doubles where the guy lifts the girl in the air, well, they do some really uh, 
high level acrobatics, as you can imagine, you know, with uh, some um, really talented kind of almost gymnastic type females that are are doing different acrobatics. They do uh, doubles in a pyramid formation. So they got two guys, one guy standing on the shoulder of two other guys, and then he's lifting another girl in the air up 20 feet in the air. Uh-huh. They, so they do some really a combination of a pyramid yep. and yep. wow. That's, and doubles. That's really cool. Yep. And so they do some really unique things. Um, and so you do see some differences. You see uh, some really great things coming out of, uh, Australia and Belgium. Belgium just started working on uh, in the pool I saw on a five-tier pyramid. Uh, we've had some five-tiers in the United States, but they're growing there and doing a five-tier pyramid now or working on it. Um, Australia has been kind of at the forefront of the show side of things. They've had really strong productions and entertainment value to their show, as well as really talented, uh, you know, professional skiers that can barefoot and jump and swivel ski at a really high level. So it's fun to see what other countries do and the little differences that everybody has in their country when it comes to show skiing, because it's not the same everywhere. uh, And it's got its own unique differences that makes it fun to watch. Yeah, and I guess the the establishment of a world tournament now will allow for more exchange of you know you guys are going to go and see like what australia is doing and belgium yes. will see what china is doing and and go home and, and work on a new show or improve yours yes. it's very much a copycat sport like that where you see a cool idea and like oh that was a that was a neat act or that was something really neat they did let's try that yeah. and you see a lot of that um so and, and it's a very collaborative sport as well so one of the neat things about it is while we compete against each other we share ideas all the time uh, with each other, within other teams, um, yeah. and it's it's very collaborative in that way. It's really unique and unlike any other sport in that regard. Like in in two weeks, we're going to a water ski convention in a hotel that is uh, is going to be essentially learning and training and, and clinics on water skiing, and it's people sharing their ideas. So I'm running a clinic there on show production with another couple of show directors on how to produce a good show. And we share our knowledge with all other teams that want to attend this clinic and we share ideas and, and it's fun and it's collaborative and um, it, the sportsmanship within show skiing is really strong and it's one of our favorite things about it. Which, correct me if I'm wrong, but this event, at least the way I've understood it from your social media, started because of the podcast or or uh, so no so the we're we're doing one portion of it yes on a, on Friday night we're having a big award show we're giving out 30 water ski awards uh at at a show called the ski show awards that started because of our podcast and and okay. it's going to be a massive event where we recognize uh, 30 different award winners in different categories of show skiing but it's taking place at an event that's been long standing. It's called Think Tank, and it's uh, been based in central Wisconsin for years and years. I start. I went when I was a kid, and okay. it's a water ski convention where you can learn about barefooting and jumping and choreography and swivel and show production and announcing and boat driving. And, and it's all these classes where people go and learn, and then they hang out and socialize and it's a big water ski convention. That's been around for years and years. We just happen, our podcast happens to this year be playing a role in uh, one of the events on Friday night, and we're looking forward to that. Now, I 
I want to hear your experience because, I mean, we were talking off the record that you guys started when the pandemic started. So we're talking about, what, two years ago, mm -hmm. roughly? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'll tell you my little story. I started the podcast a year prior to that or a few months before that, uh, completely out of a whim. Like I said, we don't really have one podcast about tournament, water skiing, uh, where, or at least... We didn't have one that wasn't, say, brand bound, so that had the freedom to interview whoever they wanted or promote the sport the way they felt like. Uh, and so I started, but never would have thought that I I would have had thousands of people listening, you know. And I guess it's a bit of a cheesy story. Everyone says that, but it would be interesting to hear your experience. Like, why did you guys decided to do it, uh, and what has been for you since then? Well, I'll let Matt answer this because he ultimately started it. But it was really born because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. You know, in show skiing, we're large groups of people, right? right? So it, for us to be able to get together in the summer of 2020 just wasn't, you know, wasn't feasible for most teams. So uh, and I'll, I'll let Matt, again, explain a little bit more. But he wanted to start something to be able to connect show skiers uh, kind of throughout this period of time where we weren't able to get together. And it just took off from there. Yeah, he's right. And part of it, too, is it, it's I I always had been looking for an idea or a way where show skiing can be promoted in a, in a bigger, better way, can be celebrated. Um, there's not really any show ski specific media anywhere, not a magazine, not a not a podcast, not a TV show. We used to have water ski shows. Water ski tournaments used to be on ESPN, sports TV, and that ended in the late 90s. Um, and there, there's so I, I've always wanted show skiing to, to be promoted and celebrated more. We have a very passionate group of people that uh, once you're a part of show skiing, it's hard to ever uh, – people don't generally give that up. Their kids grow into it and uh, their family. So like for me right now, my dad still drives boat in our show. My three kids all ski in the show and right. uh, my wife rides in a boat. I direct the show. I ski, I ski alongside my kids uh, and it's a family sport that people keep doing for generations and generations. And so we have this really loyal niche group and, and our podcast was never going to be about, uh, necessarily bringing show skiing to the masses. It was going to be bringing show skiing to our passionate, loyal group of show skiers uh, and, and highlighting some of the legends and stories in our sport and, and news and, and giving it, uh, giving show skiing a, a media outlet that we haven't had before. And now it's spun into, like you said, like we, we're getting, you know, thousands of downloads a month on our, on our podcast. And we're having an award show that's going to have, 200 people present for this massive award show and we're really looking forward to it and it's it's amazing to see where it's gone but it's really because of that loyal passionate fan base that we have and you know the thing that you you brought you reminded me of one of the, th the many things that surprised me about running this show which is uh, we are even tournament skiing is not that big you know like it's it's you know you got there's a family sport yeah. You get into it because of your parents or, or if not, you, you immediately feel like you're belonging to a small community of hardcore, passionate skiers. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so you have this perception that you know who the skiers are, right? Mm -hmm. But then one of the perceptions I've had through this podcast is that, well, there's way more skiers than I thought there are, right? Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And I don't know if you guys found out found that out too, you know, I mean, your numbers are, are huge just for those who are actively partaking in competition. Um, but at least for me, I, I noticed how the numbers that at least I thought were there are more, you know, mm. I don't know if you yeah. guys have the same sensation. Yeah, I don't know. I, we, you're right. It is a small knit sport. Like you kind of know who everybody is and you know, for us, we know all the teams and we're pretty well connected and we all hang out together at competitions, but you're right. There are more people like you learn more and more that somebody's parents were involved in a ski show back in the seventies and they skied and they know so-and-so it, yeah, it, it's really interesting in that way to, to see, to learn how many people are connected to show skiing in different ways. We're interviewing someone on our next episode and, uh, she grew up in Michigan skiing at four years old. And there's things about her history. I never really knew till I talked to her and she ended up becoming a professional show director. And, uh, just a little girl from Michigan has always grown up in the sport. And it's, it's interesting to learn those, those stories. Yeah. yeah. And I, the stories, that's the thing is, is, you know, you grow up with these people, right? You, the, the legends of the sport, you know, how good they are on the water. Everybody knows their name. Uh, but then to actually get their backstory, how did they get started? What shows did they ski for? Who have they skied with over time? It's And it's amazing how interconnected everybody in this sport is. Yeah. And and that's what I've noticed, too. Like, I I've in, I try not to only interview pro skiers. I, I try to interview judges, drivers, amateur skiers. Like, I really want to talk water skiing with the people I feel like I want to talk water skiing with. Um, but what I noticed from a lot of the professionals who hear other professionals' story, and it's a very long format podcast, like I go two, three, four hours, however long I, I end up going, uh, I noticed that a lot of skiers phone me up and say, you know, I didn't know that about him or her, and, and I, I really see myself, you know? So it, it, it's been surprising how much of a, uh, how can you say, aggregation uh, this type of medium can can generate, you know, uh, in the people that, that decide to tune in and listen. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, I also had the fortune of having some legends myself on mine. So because I, I really, again, the goal is to educate me and my audience, could you just drop some names of the legends of show skiing, why they're considered legends, who are the big names of the sport? Yeah, we've had a few on our show, right? Right from the outset, we uh, one of our goals was to do that. And some of the, you know, legends like uh, Matt May was our first podcast guest, and he was a longtime professional. He competed in a freestyle jump and competed in barefooting and skied professionally for a long time as one of the best all-around skiers in the sport. Uh, he's still active. Uh, he lives in Australia now. He grew up uh, in our neck of the woods in Wisconsin and. Um, has moved to Australia and uh, skis there. Uh, Zane Schwenk we had on our show. Uh, he was a professional wakeboarder in addition to a professional show skier. And so he competed. Actually, and he also competed on the freestyle jump tour. So he was a uh, world-class freestyle jumper, world-class wakeboarder, world-class show skier. And he had all the, the tools and skills. Um, Scotty Clack was another yep. one. Scotty. Uh, Scott was a 
you know, we had the opportunity. He was on the United States show ski team in the first world tournament in 2012. He was 50 years old then, 49 or 50, and uh, it was sort of his last hurrah. But when he was a, a young man, he was one of the best. He um, could do it all from a show skiing standpoint. He competed in long-distance jumping and freestyle jumping, uh, show skied at Cypress Gardens for many, many, many years, and is just a legend. And so it's guys like that that we've we've had on the show over time. Um, Gino Yockler. Gino Yockler. Uh, Sherry or- Orloff. Skier. Yep, Gino Yockler is a great sky skier, all-around skier. Sherry Orloff, longtime professional, one of the top swivel skiers we've ever had. And so we've tried to get these these past legends on uh, to get their stories, you know, and to hear their backstories of when they skied at the gardens in the 80s and 90s and things like that. We also get current stars on. We want to get the the top people in our sport, and we've had a lot of our current champions, current award winners, current uh, top male and female skiers in the sport. We've also invited them to be on the show, and that's fun to hear too, kind of the current, the, from the current group of, of skiers that are up and coming. So just a little personal, but what, what was that like for you guys interviewing them or chit chatting with them? Cause I'm assuming some of them, you, you have some personal relationship or you have some personal relationships. Some of them, maybe not so much. Like what was it for you guys to just have a chat with them talking about your passion? Yeah, I, Matt, I mean, Matt's way more well-connected than I am. He arranges all the interviews. Everybody knows who Matt is, and Matt knows most of these people. You know, for, But for me, I knew who they were, names and you know, kind of what they did or what they were known for. But it was, it was just really neat where you're asking questions, you're having conversations with people that you wouldn't normally have conversations with or ask questions about. It's kind of a captive 60 minutes where you, you just to get to – know them and it's it's just it's neat right you just you yeah. just wouldn't have that opportunity otherwise and it was neat it's neat for me too because these are a lot a lot of times these are people that we idolized growing up as we we grew up in the sport and we see these guys in professional shows like we go watch i when i was a kid we went to tommy bartlett's show every year and we'd see a bunch of these star skiers and get to know their names from afar. And then as you get more involved in the sport, you cross paths with them and get to know them a little bit, maybe even as acquaintances, maybe as more, you become friends. But getting to interview people that you once idolized is really cool too. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. It is because you you know, you know, you go from, I guess, uh, posters slash watching a show, but you're distant. They are like, you know, some entities out there that you, they're untouchable to eventually get closer. And eventually you get to ask them questions in depth, you know, like you, you get to ask them, you know, their beginnings and what they value. And, and I, I found that this person is always a, a, a gratifying and surprising experience, even with those, as Adam said, that I knew really well, you know, someone that I, I call friend, I ski with, uh, we're on the phone regularly, but then when I got to ask them about their beginnings and and some of their highlights, you really get to 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 know someone and to share it with with your community. Which I don't know, I can't think of anything better than that right now. Yeah, we like to bring the stories of those people out so that people can hear it and and get to know it. You know, another one I was just thinking about that we had on uh, is was Brett Wing. Uh, one of the greatest all-around skiers on earth. I think if you 
if you had a uh, ha- placed a bet on who you thought was the best all-around skier ever, Brett Wing would be, you know, probably one of the top one or two or three names people would say. Uh, he compete. He's from Australia, and he competed in uh, three event skiing, long distance yeah. jumping, uh, three event barefooting. He was a competitive barefooter, then freestyle jumping, and then he got into uh, professional show skiing. And uh, his career spanned, uh, you know, many generations and many professional uh, shows and competitions. And you know, it's people like that. It's it's cool to hear from them and to then share their stories with the public. Yeah, a lot, a lot of the names that Matt mentioned got their start in three event. Um, like Scotty Clack, for example, he shared with his that his mother was right, or was that Zane? Was a no world, Scotty's. Scotty Clack's yep. mother was a like world champ, world record holder, female long distance jumper. I mean, so that's yep. uh, again, there's a lot of a lot of cross referencing between the different different disciplines of our sport. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I I got to discover you know two days ago. Um, because the Water Skier magazine from the AWSA started a podcast. And the first interview was Scott, Scott Ellis. And little did I know that he started in show skiing and then eventually transitioned to to three event because he was also a very good slalom skier. But then sort of, as they say, he took off in jump yeah. <laughs> and yeah, he became did. the jumper, you know, that we know. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting to, to hear those you know, uh, switches and, and, you know, how did one start, how, like why they made the switch. But then it was really clear to me uh, when when Scott Ellis was being interviewed that he still had, like Shoskin still holds a dear place in his heart, you know, because uh, the interviewer, Tyler, was kind of wanting to go towards the long distance jumping and, and Scott was going back to the Shoskin, you know. So uh-huh. uh, you can tell it's it's a it's a big passion. Like I I. I have for for tournament skiing, and I've noticed within my discipline that it's it's a big passion also. Um, so, I I guess one of the last questions I have for you guys is what, uh, at least in tournament skiing, uh, one of the big conversations is always how is the sport evolving? Like, what are the new things? Uh, whether it is technique, equipment, um, more tournaments, different tours. Like, there's the, the conversation of how does the sport grow is always a very prevalent one in, in tournament water skiing. So just out of curiosity is, do you guys hear those conversations in show skiing and where is the direction that you guys foresee? Yeah. You know, we hear it. It's, it's a nonstop conversation. And one of the pieces regarding growth and actually some uh, don't agree with growth to a certain extent because um, growth in our sport has often been about putting more people on the water at one time, bigger human pyramids, bigger ballet lines, but some teams are limited by the number of members they have on their team. So from a competition standpoint, is there equity in a team that only has 14 girls and a team that has 30 girls uh, You know, in the size of things they can put on the water? So from that standpoint, I, I understand where that's coming from, and yet... Growth in our sport has largely been uh, through size of things and relative to horsepower behind the boat. We went from the 50s and 60s where it was uh, an inboard boat or a single outboard to uh, in the you know 80s and 90s getting uh, a twin rig boat, twin engines, to then getting 
triple rig boats. And our first triple rig outboards had three 150 horses on them. Now they've got three 300s or 350s or 400s on them. And so the horsepower has grown uh, to 900 plus horsepower on a boat, allowing you to pull more people on the water at any one time. It makes it easier uh, when you've got more horsepower because if you're sitting, it's hard to explain to your audience, but if, if you're, when you're a single skier ready to go off the dock and if the boat driver goes out too hot and that rope's flying out of your hand and you get yanked right. off the dock. So that's what happens with a big human pyramid. If there's not enough horsepower, the boat has to be going pretty fast to get the whole group off the water at the same time onto the water. So the more horsepower you have, they don't have to go out as fast to get them started. And so it's a, a gentler pull for everybody. And so horsepower has allowed a lot of things to grow, bigger barefoot lines. So teams are doing uh, 15, 18, 20, 25 barefooters behind a boat at one time with one boat. Wow. And it's because of horsepower and speed that has allowed that to happen. So that's been one of the primary areas of growth. The other thing, you know, other areas that people are working on and talking about is um, growing the production side of things. Um, that ebbs and flows over time. There's been uh, snapshots of five-year periods where uh, themes and, and productions have been really strong, lots of props and acting and, and really good storylines. Other times it's been uh, more of exhibition-style skiing. It's been a focus on the skiing. And, and now we're in a, a time where productions are growing and people are spending more money on costuming and and props and choreography and music and all the timing and all the things that go with it. Um, that's an area of growth that all teams are working on right now. Yeah, I, I would say whether it's the skiing or the production, we have a lot of room for creativity in our sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, from a if you if you have to put out thirteen acts, I mean, the creativity there just over time, where you're combining uh, two different types of skiing, for example, where you're doing uh, a barefoot pyramid, right? Guys barefooting and then create a pyramid, or you're doing a freestyle jumper that does a flip over the top of a human pyramid. So just combining different elements, getting creative in what you're putting out in the water because uh, new and creative is what captures the audience's attention. And from the production side, I mean, sky's the limit, right? How you right. use music and sound effects. Uh, are you going to do like an Aladdin type show? Or are you going to write your own show? Is it going to be just your own storyline 100%? Actors, characters that you use. I mean, you name it. There's... In a sixty-minute ski show, that I mean, there's there's a lot of room for creativity. Absolutely, a lot of room for creativity. But I'm assuming that just out of the complexity, like just the number of skiers, the the acts that have to, you know, you said there's a director. So I'm assuming the director is also uh, quite literally moving things around and telling people what to do. Mm-hmm. I also have the sense that those sixty minutes, for me, that I'm watching the show, are nice and pleasant, and they flow. But for those who are involved, are fast and hectic and, and quick. Am I? It's chaos. Am I on the right? It is, okay, it is okay. Organized I'm on the right track. chaos. Okay. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, thirteen acts, right? And as Matt said, kind of the trend is the bigger the better. And right. but you've only got sixty minutes. So if you you start the show with a big pyramid that's got thirty some people in it. Well, then you now have to make your next act utilize other skiers because those thirty people are now 
getting out of their skis and maybe changing their costumes and getting ropes ready for an act that is two to three acts away. So it's this balancing act of always keeping action in front of the audience, but maneuvering all of these bodies kind of behind the scenes to get them where they need to be for the next act. So yes, as, as a, with a really good ski show, uh, somebody that's watching an observer would say, man, this is just really smooth. This is fantastic. But if they right. got a glimpse of what's going on on the starting docks and behind the bleachers and it's, it's, it's nuts. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I felt, I felt there was a, a, an aspect to it that hopefully you guys can disguise from the crowd, but it's, mm-hmm. it's still there in order for things to work. Um, and then one of the things just about growth that I wanted to ask you, uh, obviously, you know, you mentioned ESPN, which is always a hot topic, uh, in tournament water skiing as well. Uh, when we were on, on the national TV, um, so I, I, one of the things that has hindered us, obviously, is the fact that we're going in smaller lake, more in the middle of nowhere, just to have the flat water and nice conditions. Uh, but the nature of your sport doesn't allow that, which in a sense, in terms of putting your show in front of crowds, which is such a key aspect of what you do, uh, you haven't lost that. So is there always, like, how can I say, is there a search for crowds in your sport? Like, do you guys actively try to put your shows in front of people? Or is it more like you try to get events to invite you to show in front of people? How does that aspect of growth go? Most teams, um, yes, we're always searching for bigger crowds and, and uh, more uh, more fans in the stands. We want to we wanna have bigger audiences um, to to perform for but for most teams uh in show skiing our summer we have regular shows so our team has a show every sunday night at 6 p.m and our local community knows that and they know what night we have and so they make plans around it they have bring a picnic dinner and come down and watch the water ski show on sunday night and it just becomes a part of the culture of the community and that's the way it is in a lot of a lot of teams in the united states uh, those communities rally around those teams and, and it just becomes a part of the community, like going to the movie theater or going bowling. We're going to go tonight and watch the water ski show. And that's what people do. And so we don't necessarily, so we're always promoting our team and, and promoting when our shows are. We certainly do some events. Um, we'll ski on some holidays and prov- promote bigger audiences. We've traveled to other parts of the United States and performed at different locations. Like we traveled to Mississippi for a festival and and skied. We traveled to Pittsburgh for this giant festival they had and skied shows there. And they paid us to do that. Um, But for the most part, it it is, it is nice and it was fun and you get a new, new place to go hang out and ski. Uh, But for the most part, it's every Sunday, or at whatever night team shows are, the community knows, and they come out and watch the show and enjoy it, and, and it's a weekly routine. Okay. Yeah, I think I think social media has been a tremendous uh, boost for uh, ski shows because you're able to, you know, free advertising, essentially mm-hmm. getting getting your name out there. But I think at the end of the day, it comes down, if you put on a good show, it's word of mouth. Like, hey, we just went, we, we saw uh, the, the Mad City Ski Team, and they were fantastic. You got to come down with us next Sunday, and we'll... We'll buy a brat and you know, and some drinks, and we'll hang out and watch the ski show. So I think if, again, it comes down to if you're putting out a great show, you know, the crowds will come. Okay, 
Yeah, so I understand it. It's here's my show. This is where we perform. We're doing it on a regular basis. Try to spread the word for the crowds to come. Um, so I heard a little dong. Is that that means that we're almost over or <laughs> no? No, no, no. That was uh, something my laptop did and I have no idea why. Perfect. No problem. Uh, I just wanted to know if we were short on time. Um, so another question I had, because you're talking, obviously, also part of the growth is bigger pyramids, more horsepower, you know, creativity, which might involve, let's say, a little bit of danger also, right? So someone jumping over a pyramid, uh, if things go south, might not be um, super fun for the people involved. So um, what is the attention to safety in show skiing, like uh, how, how do you guys account for that? Um, yeah, sa- safety, show skiing has been amazingly safe over the years. Um, part of it's been the, the culture of um, teaching the next generation how to do things the right way and veteran members on each club teaching people. Um, but it's been a, you know, there's, there's our, our governing bodies have uh, certain safety protocols we have to follow. We have to, uh, we have to have certain amount of people on site that are certified safety coordinators, they're called. And um, we're always looking out for safety. And so we've got a rule book with all sorts of safety rules and precautions in it from wearing helmets and flotation and certain acts to doing certain things the right way to how deep the water is and all of these things. But primarily it's how we teach and, and learn things. So we, we start small and then you grow bigger from there and you teach the technique the right way. And when we try to never put people in positions where they're not going to be successful, you started as baby steps. So like, for instance, Adam mentioned the, the jump over the pyramid. So that was something we did in our show last year. We have, uh, we have a jumper who we knew uh, that he's probably one of the few on in the world that has the ability to do that, but we started small. He went out and just jumped by himself and got the boat to be the right width and the right boat speed to, so he could get the right amplitude on his jump. And then he went out and jumped over one person. And then he went out and jumped over just a small too high pyramid. And then he went and jumped at over a smaller, a little bigger too high pyramid. And then he went and jumped over a three high pyramid, but his rope was staggered pretty short so he wouldn't kill the top person. And then we steadily worked his rope length back over time. Uh, and again, so it was all in the, in the uh, it was all to be safe. It all had to do with safety because we don't want to put anyone in a position where they're not safe or they're going to be injured. And so by and large, show skiing uh, has been remarkably safe at water ski tournaments, at, at competitions. There are safety personnel everywhere. They're, they give uh, every team and boat drive crew gets a safety talk from the safety personnel before the show on certain safety protocols for it. Um, and it's, it's a focus in, in our sport and, and in our competitions. And so we've been lucky to, to be remarkably safe in our sport. Yeah. And it's also, you know, tried and true technique, right? It's technique that's been passed down from generation to generation that's taught on the team and kind of back to think tank, which is this big 
water ski convention that we have in Wisconsin uh, coming up uh, in a few weeks. Collaborative, right? You can go to a clinic where they teach best technique for building a pyramid. You know, what's the best way, the safest way, most efficient way to build a pyramid? Teams take that information back. And I think most teams do this. We do this. In the winter, when the lakes are frozen, we practice climbing these pyramids in a gymnasium. You know, so everybody learns the the guys on the bottom aren't skiing. They're just standing there, right? They're solid. And so the the girls or the climbers learn the proper technique in order to climb a two high, three high. You know, they kind of work their way up into a four high. So it's it comes down to technique. It comes down to practice. And again, collaboration. What's the best way? What's the safest way to do that? And teams share that information. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, I mean, my sense, again, from uh, ignorantly watching your sport is that things seem so dialed in that, you know, there's there's got to be a, a question of safety in the back of the minds of those who plan um, these shows, those who perform the shows too, right? Um, and, and I'm glad to hear it's a lot similar to, to what we do, which is repetition, conscious repetition with someone teaching you uh what works essentially and then you go and 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 repeat that until it's so solid then that you can do it um yeah and that's uh, just for us it's not just the skiing either it's the driving because we have multiple boats on the water at one time right and so the boat drivers have to adhere to certain safety standards when they're driving different patterns back and forth or crossing paths uh, we have certain safety protocols they follow for what line on the water they're following and, and making sure they're not too close. So if there's a fallen skier in front of them, uh, there we have all sorts of safety protocols uh, as it relates to the driving as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't even think about the driving. Uh, boats moving around with a lot of skiers behind, that, that seems to be very important. Yeah. Um, the... So just to give you a sense, my background is in sports psychology. Uh, so I just want to hear how do show skiers and show ski teams prepare for tournaments or prepare for a show? Like, uh, are there any conversations that you hear about, you know, handling pressure, uh, controlling emotions? Because there's then there's also the performing side the acting side which you have to portray some emotions i I find this super interesting that's a good question that is i mean you know matt i mean as a show director you know it's your job to say you know we're well prepared for this uh just go out have fun smile and you know the rest will take care of itself on an individual level, do people get nervous and some people handle it better than others? Sure, absolutely. That's going to be with with any sport, right? I mean, even uh, Olympians who train their whole lives and, you know, the pressure gets to them. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it's repetition. It's people that show ski. They show ski because they love to perform. So getting out in front of an audience, it kind of flips that switch for a lot of people. Right. Mm-hmm. The smile just turns on and, you know, you're just at your best when you're in front of when you know you're being watched and you're being appreciated. Uh, that's how it is for me. You, you put you you talk to me on the street. Um, I'll say three words to you. You put me on a microphone in front of a crowd of 5000 people. You won't shut me up. Uh, right. it's, it's just just the way it is. Um, but so, I, yeah, but I, I think it's just we're having fun. I would add to it that one of the challenges in uh 
so I've led a lot of teams. I've been show director for many years and um, finding ways to uh, motivate, encourage, lead, uh, prepare for competition. It's always a, a challenge because we have a variety of ages of people that participate. So we have kids who are five years old in the show and we have people who are 65 years old and everything in between. And so you imagine a a coach or a leader trying to motivate or lead. If, if we did it in just one way and it's not going to work for everybody, the way I talk to the five-year-old girl and say, you can do it is different than I talk to the 35 year old, you know, who's done this many, many times. Like, so that those conversations and that leadership and that motivation and that preparation is different. And so that makes it a challenge from a leadership standpoint is you've got this group of people that are all different ages, different ability levels, come from different walks of life and trying to push the right buttons to make sure everybody's prepared and performing their best when they need to perform their best. And that's not always the same for everybody. And so finding ways as a leader to, to bring out the best in everybody. Um, one of the things that I always try to do in terms of leadership and, and preparation is to help people believe that they're capable of more than they believe that they're capable of that, uh, that, um, they don't need to have self doubt and try to eliminate the, the limiting beliefs or the self-doubt and believe that you are capable of doing this and that we're putting you in a position to succeed and that you can be the best you can be. And, and it's really true. And then to help people believe that uh, that's what I try to, to get across to a lot of our teams. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, like any sport, there's uh, there's pressure, you know? So mm-hmm. I always find it interesting. What are the sources of pressure uh, in a specific sport? And I'm, I'm guessing the, now that after an hour, I feel like I know a little bit more about show skiing. Uh, I'm assuming it's uh, the crowd, uh, mm-hmm. the um, performing as well as you, as you possibly can, which I know is a huge part of um, sports in which you are rated, right? Um, obviously, there's a huge team aspect to this. Um, so, you know, team coordination with those who you're working with, which goes beyond maybe just the technical side also like you kind of want to be able to hang hang out with these people because you know they might be the ones that are supporting you on on the top of the pyramid so and you don't want to let your teammates down so you feel the pressure like i don't want to let these people down these are these are my friends and my water ski team family and so we feel the pressure to to not let our teammates down and to perform at our best for our teammates there's some pressures that are external, some that are internal. There are some teams that uh, if they don't win, it's considered a loss. And uh, so they put the pressure on themselves to to always win. Other teams put pressure on, their, on themselves in other ways, in other performance aspects. And so sometimes it's internal, sometimes it's external. Right. Yeah, I think I think the way we way our season is structured, it just kinds of to it lends to being able to handle pressure better, right? We have our Sunday shows, which is performed for you know the locals, and they don't care if it's a three tier pyramid or a five tier pyramid, or if a guy's doing one flip or there's three guys doing a flip, you know. And so it's it's there's just it's not a big pressure situation at home shows, but 
you just get used to being in front of people over time. But yeah, does the pressure amp uh, amplify as you get uh, into tournaments? Of course it does, but it's a team sport. It's like a lot of these acts, there's multiple people on the water. So you usually always have a teammate next to you. And, you know, if one act doesn't go your way, guess what? We still got 12 more to go. You know, we still got to put on a 60-minute show. So you just got to, if something doesn't go right, you, you just got to move on, right? You still got 60 minutes you got you to fulfill. So it is a team sport and it's and it's fun but i think you just get used to it over time because that's what you do you perform and the competition is the same thing it's just a performance except this time you get somebody that's uh, writing down some scores yeah yeah look guys just i think we touched technique rules uh, the psychology side the, the one last question i have and we touched on it a little bit with boats is equipment right so in, in water skiing and particularly in slalom skiing, which is what I what I do, the conversation about equipment is always huge. Uh, you know, new skis, new technology. Is this going to be the ski that makes me turn an extra buoy? Or you know, like all all this equipment talk, down to ropes and and the tightness of ropes. Like the, it can get it can send you into some dark holes, right? So. I, I would like to know about show skiing. How important is equipment? Has equipment been evolving? Like, what is the role of the equipment in, in show skiing? You could unroll, you could roll out a, a trailer from 1962 to our show site today, and we could still perform a ski show. Okay. Yep. You, you so, would, like, you, yep. we could use ropes that are 24 years old and uh, stretch like a bungee cord. And uh, same skis from 20 years ago, flat bottom wood skis to carry pyramids. Now, do we get new stuff? Yeah. And do we want ropes that are bungee cord? No. Uh, But uh, in terms of technology of a lot of the core aspects of show skiing, not much has evolved. You have a rope and a handle, uh, a general poly E rope for the most part for pyramids, for ballet, for jumping, um, you have uh, basic 72-inch wood skis or 74-inch wood skis for pyramids. They've gotten wider over time. So in the 80s, they used regular Dick Pope Jr. combo skis. Now they're wider and bigger. That's about the main advancement in those skis. Some are going – when you get into the specialty stuff, that's where the technology Jump, has jumping. really jumped. Freestyle jumping. You want certain uh, you know, composite – skis made a certain way certain weight certain rocker certain shape uh bindings uh sky skis the hydrofoils the way that's really come into and and the technology behind that you see hydrofoils and other things now not just a sky ski people are on the stand-up hydrofoils and and different sorts of things uh swivel skis are starting to be made uh a little differently a little lighter uh so that people can go slower on the water and they're a little more buoyant but the bindings have remained unchanged on swivel skis forever forever that i don't think it's, yep. it's ever changed i mean if you're if you're a real gearhead mateo like in terms of your bindings and your skis and all of that you would be appalled by looking at a show ski team's trailer oh, or, or a clubhouse like it there's screws missing from skis i mean the wood's rotten on some skis. Uh, you know, the bindings are different. There's a pair of skis that each got a different binding on them. It's <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, unless you're talking the specialty stuff, the rest of it's, it has not has not changed. And, you know, other than what Matt said, you know, boats have gotten 
more horsepower, but even even the hulls of those boats, like those big triple rigs, those molds they've been using for quite those really haven't changed much. It's just the the technology and the engines that you're bolting onto the back of those boats. And the inboards, you know, the inboards that we use, you know, we're not using like wake surf boats and ours don't need to be dialed into a, you know, a tenth of a mile per hour. I mean, the the inboards that we use are you'd be appalled at those too. <laughs> you, 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 there's, there's some soft spots in those floorboards and those boats where your foot might go through, but you know, as, as okay. long as they run. Yeah. Yeah. yeah very different. That's one big difference. Yeah. But I guess you guys can compensate it with the, with the act, with the performance, you know, like the, yeah. a, a, for as beautiful, uh, the more beautiful it looks, the less, the less the people are going to look at your ski. Um, where whereas with us i guess that's also true but maybe it's the opposite the more buoys are running the more they're going to be asking you about your ski mm-hmm. and is it in, is it already on sale but or is it a next year model you know like uh-huh, the, right, it becomes right. really a lot about about equipment yeah well guys i mean this was super fun like yeah, let's do it again great. next Thanks. year you know, like, yeah absolutely. Thanks for having fun. us. this is fun this was fun i really enjoyed it thank you so much um where can people find your so, so the podcast is called the ski show yep and it's the ski show uh we've got uh, it comes out every two weeks on wednesdays uh we have a website theskishow.com uh you can also find our podcast anywhere that you listen apple podcast spotify uh amazon um google podcast it's it's on all the places and so if you want to learn a little bit more about show skiing and some of the legends in the sport feel free to give our podcast a listen. Yeah. No, that's good. It'll be, it'll be widely promoted through this, I'm, I'm sure. All right. Well, thank so, you, Matteo. Thank you. Matt, Matt, Adam, this was a lot of fun. Thanks again. Yep. Thanks. Take care. Thank you.